Oh, I love me strawberry sniggles. Oh, I hope nobody ever gets my hands on me and tries to steal my strawberry sniggles. I'm gonna eat every last one of them because, and then they'll be in my stomach and nobody will ever be able to eat them except for me because they're gonna be all inside my stomach. I'm, my name is Mr. Top Hat Jones and God forbid anyone ever take my smeggish little paper sniggles. I'm keeping them all for me. Mm, oh, mm, last bite. Mm, oh, now they're all resting comfortably in my stomach. Ooh, am I feeling good? Uh, no! Get away from me! Get away from me! This is my first strawberry sniffles! No! Oh, oh, Jesus Christ! Jesus Christ! It hurts! My entrails are out! Why would you even want to eat these? And then they're soaked with my stomach acid! Oh, Jesus Christ! Lord, Savior, and, and Spirit! Save me! Take me to the light! Oh, my God! I see demons! I see demons are coming! Jeez, Rick! Oh, my God! That's some pretty hardcore stuff to, you know, for a cereal commercial. Well, you know, Morty, I mean, you want to sell boxes of cereal, you gotta, you gotta pump the gas a little. Pedal to the metal, Morty. Everybody, welcome to episode 10 of Who and Company. My name is Brent. And I'm Drew. We have two guests joining the company this month. Podcasters Kat Griffiths and Chris Burgess. We'll learn the secret origins of their Doctor Who fandom, find out how to get a spanking at Heart Attack Grill, and the perils of improv. And then we move on to their TV selection, Adult Swim's animated wonderkin, Rick and Morty. All that's coming right up. But before we move ahead... We want to let folks who are going to Long Island Who November 10th through 12th know that I, Drew, will be in attendance. I'm very privileged to be on a number of great panels with some great panelists, and I'm very excited to be on stage Friday at 4 p.m. interviewing John Leeson about his recent biography. So if you see me, come over, say hi, it's no big deal. It's like buying fake doors. Don't even hesitate. Don't even worry. Don't even give it a second thought. (laughs) So let's Michael down our Vincents and start the show. We have two guests for you today. One has been podcasting weekly for over 10 years on the Doctor Who podcast Radio Free Scarrow, and our other guest appears not only on the all-female Doctor Who podcast Verity, but she also has her own brand new show, Start the Music, interviewing various band members and producers while introducing the world to lots of cool new songs. They are Chris Burgess and Kat Griffiths. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thank you. Kat, uh, first off, I have to tell you how much we love your show. Uh, you've done such a great job, and you've gotten Dominic Glenn in, who's done Doctor Who, of course, um, producer Christopher Holmes, who did work on some Blink-182 stuff. So what was the idea behind that, and what can we expect out of that show soon? Uh, well, the, the idea behind it was me saying, I don't hear that many women on music podcasts. And then me saying, but I don't have enough formal training or knowledge of music to do a podcast. And Deb saying, 
uh, my co-host from Verity saying, um, well, if you were a guy, you wouldn't be saying you don't have enough knowledge to do a podcast. <laughs> so she said, you should just do a podcast. So I did one. Um, so as to what to expect, mm-hmm. um, I have another band coming up, actually, when we're recording this this week, um, a blues punk band from California that I'm interviewing. And then I have um, the director for Heart Like a Hand Grenade, which is the Green Day American Idiot documentary, like how they made American Idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a very, very interesting and lengthy chat with uh, John Roker. So that one is is very interesting and very behind the scenes and very Green Day fan-ish. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Chris, I saw you guys went uh, out to Vegas recently. What was that like? I hadn't been there Vegas. Yet. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, it was about six months ago at this point. Um, it was good. Uh, walked around the strip, saw some shows, and um, complained about the heat. <laughs> and you met Penn and Teller? Uh, yeah. Um, Penn and Teller, they always do a meet and greet after their shows. So oh, okay. uh, anyone who just wants to you know, hang around the foyer uh, until they come out and uh, brave the crowds for all the, all the autographs and selfies, yeah, they'll... They'll talk to anybody. <laughs> That's cool. And and he's actually a little taller than you. Is that what you said? Pen? No. Goodness, oh, no. no. Okay, yeah. Oh, goodness. No, I've, I've got a good few inches on him, and he's 6'5 <laughs> he's or thereabouts. Oh, all right. <laughs> it made for it made for an interesting selfie. I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. A uh, yeah. little jealous. A little jealous. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Also, the burger joint. Uh... Oh, the heart attack grill. Yeah. I have never heard of such a thing, and I'm really terrified that it exists. (laughs) You you should be. It it exists for ironic purposes, I believe. Um, Yeah, it's a a burger chain started in, well, just outside of Phoenix, uh, I think. And, yeah, it's, uh, they'll give you up to, sell you a burger of up to, I think it's eight half-pound beef patties and plus, you know, bacon and whatnot and, and chili they, and cheese and they fry their fry their uh fry their fries in lard and uh use uh, uh lots of fat and milkshakes and so on it's uh, uh heart attack wow. inducing hence the name is that uh, one of those places that uh if you eat the whole thing you get it for free type of thing uh it's not uh if you're over 350 pounds you eat for free <laughs> uh you got to pay for drinks but you get free food uh, but if you don't eat all your food, uh, they take you off to the side and the uh, wait staff give you spankings with a big paddle. <laughs> nice. Can you request the spankings even if you did eat all your food? <laughs> I'm sure you could, although I, I guess the easier way to would, would be just to like leave that last bite on your <laughs> you know, of your burger or whatever on the on the plate and then that way you just you know you Oh no! I haven't finished. Whatever will I do? <laughs> well, you're both Doctor Who fans as well as podcasters, so um, we're kind of curious. How did you discover Doctor Who, and what made you want to start podcasting? I know that's two very different stories, so we'll start with Doctor Who first. Cat, um, what is your tale? <laughs> I have, I have the the interesting. No, you're okay. Anyway, mine is <laughs> that. Um, I was a big Queers Folk fan, the, mm-hmm. the U.S. version of Queers Folk, which isn't written by Russell T. Davies. But, of course, I learned about Russell T. Davies 
because I was a Queer as Folk fan. And oddly enough, I found a piece of fan fiction that had um, two members of Torchwood sitting down and watching Queer as Folk together. It was Jack and Yanto sitting watching Queer as Folk. So I read it and I thought, I have no idea who these Torchwood people are, but they're pretty cool. So I started watching Torchwood and watched both seasons of Torchwood and then got into Doctor Who. So I watched the, the Five Doctors as my first story. Wow. How about you, Chris? Uh, at my dad's place when I was a kid, he was, he was a Doctor Who fan and he watched it on Saturday nights on, on PBS and, uh, I would watch it with him and that's just, yeah, it's a pretty basic story really. Um, I was eight or thereabouts at the time. So been a fan for coming up on 35 years, I guess. That is an impressive number. Do you remember what your first episode was? Absolutely not. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would have been Tom Baker, some, something in the Tom Baker range. Um, that makes sense. But I couldn't couldn't tell you which one. Well, how about podcasting? Uh, what makes you uh, decide, I want to sit in front of a microphone and talk into it for, for well, in some cases, 10 or more years? <laughs> uh, I didn't make that decision. Uh, it was made for me. Uh, when Radio Free Scarrow first began, uh, it was... They, they, I joined about a year into its uh, mm-hmm. existence, and uh, when the show began, uh, a mutual friend of Warren and mine let me know of the existence of RFS. So I started listening to it, and um, I, I got, uh, you know, frankly annoyed with the uh, the lack of knowledge by the the uh, two esteemed hosts <laughs> and how many mistakes they would tend to make, and so on. So I. I'd be that I'd be that guy who'd write in after the show, after I listened to the show, and say, "Well, you got this wrong, and this wrong, and this wrong, and that wrong," uh, and uh, it just uh, <laughs> eventually st- snowballed into, "Hey, well, if you're so smart, why don't you just come on and join us?" So I did. Uh, I, I've known Warren for thirty years, give or take. Uh, his mother and my mother were friends, and so that was that was that was the main in, I suppose, but. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's not anything that I expected to happen or even planned. Hmm. How about you, Cap? Uh, I started podcasting because Chris asked me to come on and uh, kind of sub in for Stephen because Stephen was going to Cuba. So I was the guest host, I guess, for an episode or two. Yeah. the The decision was made when Stephen was. Uh, going on holiday to to bring in um and i was living in england at the time uh to bring in another canadian person and <laughs> so we we made we made a short list of of people who th- we thought might be okay um from from uh, people we knew on twitter facebook and and so on but uh i, I can't remember the exact reason why it was decided that cat should be invited but she was and uh and she she joined for Oh, I don't know. At least a handful of, of RFS episodes as a, as a guest host. Yeah, commentaries and a couple normal episodes, a couple commentaries. Very cool, very cool. Yeah. Well, we ask each of our guests to nominate a show to talk about, you know, knowing full well that Doctor Who is not the end-all and be-all of their fandom. Uh, and your show is a first for two reasons. Um one, that it's still on the air. Uh, or, well, let's put it this way. One, it hasn't been canceled yet. And two, <laughs> it is animated. So what is your program, and why did you select it? 
Uh, we picked Rick and Morty, and I suggested Rick and Morty because I originally suggested The Simpsons, and we decided Rick and Morty might be a better choice since The Simpsons is so huge and... Yeah, you can't pick a couple episodes to discuss of The Simpsons. There's too many of them. Monorail. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a valid pick. <laughs> so you are, I take it, both Rick and Morty fans. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Um, with it airing on Sunday nights, it makes it a bit awkward uh, for its its uh, airtime uh, when we have to get up for work early on a Monday, on a Monday morning, but... Uh, uh, we make sure to, to get to it every Sunday night when it airs. That's awesome. Uh, when did you first start watching the show? Is it something that you started right when it came out a couple years back, or do you find it after the fact? No, it's from from the get-go, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, I've got a tendency of... Anytime there's there's new stuff out there, um, I've got a tendency to, to try to watch whatever comes out obviously that's not not possible for everything but where where it's possible i try to watch whatever um is new so uh whatever pilots are out there and so on and rick and morty just happened to be amongst everything else that came out in 2013 and uh it it, it really resonated and i'll admit that i didn't want to watch it at first because justin Rowland plays the most annoying character on adventure time and he's yeah, his character is the one reason that I have to, like, mute the TV when I'm watching Adventure Time. <laughs> because Le- because Lemon Grab is the most annoying character in the world. And I, I, I don't watch Adventure Time. I've, I've watched a little bit of it, and I didn't know Justin Roiland was involved with, with Adventure Time. So I had, I had no such preconception. Although I knew uh, Dan Harmon from Community, of course, because we, we both... Um, both mainlined community as of when Adventure uh, Inspector Space Time was uh, was brought on in season three. Gotcha, gotcha. Are you familiar with their other works uh, prior to, say, Community or um, other th- projects that Dan Harmon had done? Uh, probably no. <laughs> <laughs> I know well, if you'd watched uh, Channel One Hundred One or The Heat Vision and Jack. Uh, Monster House or uh, Roland's various forms of animation that he did. The Co- I think Cosby House and um, he's done some bizarre stuff. Bizarre stuff nope. out there. Definitely no. No. All right. How about um, Dan Harmon's podcast, Harmon Town? Nope. Nope. All right. Uh, maybe an maybe an episode. Gotcha. But. No more than that. I don't. They're, I don't listen. I don't listen to mainstream podcasts. So like Adam Carolla or Gilbert Gottfried, all these big podcasts. I never heard one second of any of them. I listen to the ones that, the ones from from people I know or for subjects I like. Um, and yeah, so I, I don't do the celebrity podcast thing. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, there there are several Harmontown jokes. Um, on Rick and Morty, including in one of the episodes that you selected for us to to watch today. Uh, but I was just curious. So uh, is there a favorite character you have on the show? Uh, I don't know. Way to put me on the spot, Chris. You couldn't <laughs> think of one. He points to me. Um, I don't know. I like, I like Rick, but that seems like a cop-out answer. Um, but yeah, Rick. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, Rick is the easy answer. Yeah. No, um, the butter passing robot. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I not exist? not involved in either of the episodes we we um, made mention of for today? But there's a a, a a butter passing robot that Rick invents, whose sole purpose is to pass the butter at the at the dinner table, and it's a it's just a very uh, from a from a weird like nihilistic philosophical perspective it's just a really awesome little character well, and it's ro- in there for like 10 seconds the robot asks what is my purpose and rick says to pass butter so he passes the butter and he says what is my purpose he goes to pass butter and the robot looks so dejected and horrible just puts horrified. his head down and just sighs yeah. uh drew how long have you been watching there uh oh i i started right from the get go um uh, I am, uh, I, well, I'm not a huge fan of Dan Harmon as a human being, but um, I really, <laughs> I really like his shows. Um, I was a big fan of the the podcast, and like mainly because I like when celebrities play Dungeons and Dragons and they get very drunk and they play Dungeons and Dragons. <clears throat> uh, and so when Rick and Morty was in production, they would hint at it and. Uh, the the whole voice cast is quite excellent. Um, Justin Roiland is is really good at at the voices he does. But Sarah Chalk from Scrubs, I knew her, and uh, Chris Parcell is just an amazing voice actor. So my interest was piqued right from the get go, especially when they they pitched it as essentially um, Doc Brown and Marty by way of Doctor Who, and yeah. I thought that was a that was the way to get my attention. You know, um, uh, actually, which brings me to the the next question, because, you know, Rick and Morty is in many ways uh, a Doc Brown and Marty, but they are family. Uh, And I'm kind of curious how the that relationship, the fact that they are related to one another, how that resonates with you. uh, And do you feel like it kind of changes the dynamic if in comparison to say if Rick were just a, I don't know, I want to say mentor figure because that's not really what he is. Um, but the show is very much intrinsically about family. Uh, so how do you feel about that? Like, what is that? Do you think that dynamic works for the show? The dynamic works. I mean, Rick is a very selfish character. And I don't know if it would really matter if Morty were his grandson or not. I think the grandson aspect just gives it gives it the ease of proximity, so that they're on the the adventures together. Um, you're 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 right. It's it's very much a family a family styled show, and uh, there's there's lots of through lines on that. Whether it's things like uh, Rick and Morty traveling from one dimension to another because their their reality got destroyed for you know uh, as good as destroyed and so they went to a different one where they were already dead and they just ingrained themselves into that different reality or um things like uh beth and jerry as a married couple and the 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 issues they have and divorce and not divorce and some it's and the the i guess the sibling dynamic between uh morty and his sister as well there's there's lots of family stuff, but I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a necessity for the Rick and Morty aspect. Uh, it's it's kind of interesting to watch the family thing because at the end of the day, so many, I think of why 
uh, Roseanne worked uh, back in the 90s just because it's, or anything else like that, fam, uh, modern family, like anything that's, that's this long-running family-based sitcom, they all work because we all have families and we can relate. Yeah, it's... Building it on a building it on a family thing kind of gives you that baseline of if nothing else we can draw from family experiences. But one thing that always bothered me about Back to the Future was the fact that they never explained how those two why they were friends, and that always really really bothered me. Like, come on, mention something like science fair experiment gone wrong and they bonded over that or something i always assume when i first when i saw the first back to the future movie that they were related i just assumed and then when i realized afterwards they didn't it made less sense to me so the fact that rick and morty are related just even if they don't draw upon it it's that kind of background shade to their characters that you know okay this is the reason that they're together on these adventures rick is enough of a rick is enough of a loner that's uh, like even in the opening credits, there's shots of like him, you know, using the portal gun to escape and leaving Morty behind to get ravaged by the local monsters. Like he doesn't, he doesn't really care that Morty's his grandson. Uh, we we get some developments in uh, Beth and and uh, Rick's relationship as as daughter and father, I guess, but that's that's about as far as his family stuff really seems to go. Well, no, you get it with Summer and, and uh, Rick. Yeah, I guess so. Probably more so than Morty and Rick. More so than Morty, but yeah. Morty's almost like an afterthought to Rick. Yeah. That relationship changes a little bit in season three. Uh, you know, this is... <clears throat> you actually have, in real life, Dan Harmon is going, well, is going through a divorce, and so you can see the echoes of his sort of real life in the program, but there's a... You know, it seems like that was kind of the season three arc, but the other is a subtle, more subtle arc in season three where it's Morty is starting to become kind of a less whiny, more of a badass. Uh, yeah. And mm-hmm. it's very subtle, uh, which <laughs> of course has led to some amazing fan theory. Rick and Morty has the best fan theories because there's so much, so much that could potentially be. There's... Rick and Morty has the best fan theories, but the worst fans. Yep. Um, but, like, you know, he's going on, on YouTube, for example, and there are scads of, of people posting, like, little little clip compilations and whatnot of of what they think is, you know, under underlying, like, what's foreshadowing for the future. Or um, I remember one thing where, and I can't remember what episode it's in, there's a, a still frame captured of... Uh, the, I think it's the Citadel of Ricks, but there's a Morty dressed as a Rick in the background. And so they're like, ooh, Insidious, there's Mortys are going to take over. And of course we have like evil Morty taking over in season three as well, <laughs> which uh, is just awesome. So uh, this is the first animated show we've discussed. So, well, But how do you think the medium of animation allows for this kind of storytelling presented on this show? You could never do this show unless it was animated. Like I, ref- you would either have to do it animated or, like reboot style, computer graphics, that probably would still look pretty shady and awful looking. Like this has to be an animated show. Yeah. Well, CG is still animation if you want to really get down to it. But yeah, there's the <laughs> this cannot be done in, in real life. The um, 
the set design, the costumes, the the time involved to prep actors and and things like it's just it's the it would gore. Be, it, be, be, <laughs> it would be beyond beyond the capability of any rational TV production schedule. And they wouldn't yes. be able to afford it either. I don't think. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt. I mean, just the they don't. Citadel of Ricks, I guess, is one exception other than the the main house, but they don't tend to like reuse a lot of quote unquote sets. But even beyond that, just you know, imagine designing the set of the week or or the the new creature and and making it realistic to have it done, you know, around a human body, like have a human body fit inside the the creature suit. I mean, you'd never get Mr. Poopy Butthole. <laughs> It's true, let alone the fact that if you're going to go to the Citadel of Ricks, you're going to have a thousand Ricks and a thousand Mortys. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, unless they, they bring in the production team from Orphan Black and just multiply that by a hundred or more, uh, it's not going to work for you. Yeah. But there's something about animation that allows you to just go, hey, if you can imagine it, chances are we can animate it. So that's got, they've got that going for them. Yeah, not to mention with animation, you you can have uh, the 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 powers that be behind any animation are, are always going to exercise their preferred animation style as well. So you can get some some really cool designs and things like that, which you know actual real life wouldn't be able to offer. And that's that's not even just monsters. That's like just you know the the shape of the eyes or or the size of the mouth or the location of the ears or whatever. That's you can get really creative with animation that you can't do with real people. Yeah, or you know, eye holes. Um, <laughs> but then on on top of on, on top of all of that, you have the fact that people are more forgiving for animation, and stuff that happens on Rick and Morty and South Park and Family Guy, you can get away with a lot more than you can in in you know action in real life TV shows. Sure. And you yeah, you can't make half the jokes that you make on an animated show on a sitcom. Dan Harmon has said that the show, and we mentioned this briefly, was inspired in part by Doctor Who and, and British television, like The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, he he was comparing <clears throat> Rick to the Doctor in many ways, uh, and just talking about how when you look, the Doctor always has a companion. The companions are sort of the mouthpiece for your for your audiences. They're the proxy, but you don't really want to be Rick's companion because. <laughs> The body count is a little high. Um, Harmon says, we don't want to be the companions. We want to hang out with the doctor. We idolize the doctor, but we don't think like him. And that's really interesting. And Rick is diseased. He's mentally ill. He's an absolute lunatic because he lives on this much larger scale. Um, there's, there's some, there are some similarities between this show and Doctor Who, um, what do you what do you think when you compare the two of them? And I don't know if you always if you would, but uh, when you have a Rick is obviously the smartest guy when he walks into the room, right? Like he comes in, he knows what's going on. It's very rare that you're going to pull one over on Rick Sanchez. Um, yeah. He's smart. He makes things. Aside from that, what is there to compare between Doctor Who and the show? Can you see the influences on Doctor Who other than traveling through? Space rather than time. Well, I mean, Rick may as well be an alien, given his personality. Hmm. Um, just, yeah, well, the travel thing is obviously a big big comparison. You've got the TARDIS, which is space and time travel, versus the portal gun, which 
strictly speaking, just does space travel, but it, they also do interdimensional travel and, and, and travel between realities. So, you know, substitute that for time and, and you're not, not that vastly different. And Rick is like the doctor. Rick is always going to have to be the smartest person in the room. Um, you know, there's, if the doctor gets into trouble, he'll whip up a little doodad or something like that, which Rick will do. Um, there's, there's a lot of similarities, but I don't think that they're necessarily strictly Doctor Who similarities. Just no, of course, it things, doesn't but, have to be, but it's interesting yeah. to hear, you know, th- them look at this and say, we took some inspiration from a program that we all like and to have that. I don't want to say, let's say it twisted. It's twisted, right? I mean, it's, Mm. it's, it's taken that almost mad scientist trope and taken it a step further in a way that if it was Dr. Who, it would be bringing it back to hope and maybe a nonviolent solution and, uh, an attempt to make everyone agree with one another. Whereas Rick might just blast you and turn you into a snake. So, there is, <laughs> there are similarities I, with differences too. Yeah, I would I would compare it more to, um, to Hitchhikers mm. than 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 Doctor Who. Doctor Who, yeah, but kind of in the worst possible way, like American Doctor Who, because you still have the violence, and he has absolutely no no qualms about using violence if necessary. And why should he? You know, he's Rick. He can do whatever he wants. He's the smartest guy in the room, but. I guess if you t- a lot of the things that were taken out of the Doctor to make him a better character, and because it is a family slash children's slash, you know, feel-good TV show, um, it's kind of like taking all those negative qualities and putting it back into that character, and then you're left with someone like Rick, who hasn't had all of the, the bad stuff kind of buffed out of him. You know, hence the drunkenness and the you know, debauchery and all that stuff. Yeah, Rick is a, um, he is a pained, pained character. Uh, And we may not know exactly what his backstory is yet, but he certainly is uh, a toxic narcissist, among other things. Yeah. Justin Roiland was at the Raleigh Supercon just up the street here this past summer. And I was there, but I had no idea who he was. I just saw that there was this super long line to meet him, and I thought, who is that guy? And um, <laughs> But there were a lot of people there, and I thought, well, you know, what, what am I missing here? But uh, would you ever go to a Rick and Morty convention if there was one near you? God, no. I don't want to be around people like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it sounds awful, and I'm sure the majority of people would be, um, would be great. And I would, never con- I would never really consider myself a Rick and Morty fan, or at least I would never come out and say I'm a big fan. But just like any other fandom, you have that 1% that are just awful, horrible people and who can't seem to differentiate between reality and their fandom. And when it comes to Rick and Morty, that 1% is just such a huge pain. Like, the whole, well, the whole Szechuan sauce thing. That is enough for me to never, ever want to be in a room with a vast majority of Rick and Morty fans. Yeah, let's talk about that, shall we? Um, and and this maybe for listeners who <clears throat> aren't aware of this. Uh, that would be me. 
Okay, you don't know what's going on, so let's let's explain. Um, I'll see if I can simplify it. So in an episode in season three of Rick and Morty, Rick mentions uh, how much he loved the Szechuan sauce that came out as a production uh, for the movie Mulan. It's been a while. And because of this, the fan base started essentially haranguing McDonald's to bring it back. And McDonald's, seeing an opportunity to, I don't know, get in with the the cool new kids, I think their stock might be dropping a little bit, who knows, they decide, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to do a one-day event where you can get this Szechuan sauce. It's going to... Uh, it's going to be at the same time that Rick and Morty is essentially going off the air for season three. But they only sent 20 packs to the stores that got it. So not every McDonald's got it. They didn't know which McDonald's was going to get it. And the McDonald's that did get it only got 20 packs. And fans waited in line for hours. Some of the stores sold their packs uh, ahead of time. Some of them gave away them to their friends. Some of them just put them immediately on eBay. Some people who got their packs opened them up and charged $20 per dip for people to taste the Szechuan sauce. No, no, wow. wait. It gets better. Um, there were riots when the places said that they were out of sauce. So you can go on and watch <clears throat> the fans that Kat were mentioning earlier jumping on countertops, screaming, crying, uh, (laughs) starting fights. Then they're the folks who did get their packets and decided to sell them. Some people traded (laughs) their single packet of Szechuan sauce for a new car. Some of them sold them on eBay for $1,000. It gets even weirder because I found out today that people were selling, wait for it, pictures of their Szechuan sauce packets, a picture, a photo of a pack recently sold on eBay for $480. (laughs) Oh, that one I hadn't heard. So my question is, is this a sign that Rick and Morty fans are devoted to the point of being rabid, or does this signal the end of life on Earth as we know it? And more importantly, (laughs) what would Rick say about these events? This is the end of humanity. Uh, Rick would uh, throw up his middle finger and move on to the next planet. <laughs> no, no. He'd find a way to capitalize on that. <laughs> he'd have six or seven cars. He'd be going back and getting more sauce. Not necessarily flooding the market, but um, the funny thing is, is they're coming out with more Szechuan sauce. Like, yes. There's more coming out. Um, also funny, it is sweet and sour sauce with soy sauce mixed in. Yes. That is Szechuan, like Szechuan sauce. That's the entire ingredient list. Sweet and sour sauce and soy sauce. Yeah, this is definitely an example of fans missing the point of the program and McDonald's missing the point of the phantom. McDonald's response Mm. to this, basically trying to cover the tracks and not getting sued, was, wow, we're overwhelmed by the response to this. We can tell when our fans really want Szechuan sauce, so you'll be happy to know that we're putting it back on the menu. This is going to be canceled shortly. I'm I I would bet good money <laughs> that it's going to get there. There's going to be zero lines uh, for this when it gets onto a regular rotation because it's also not going to include the the close enough but not quite close enough to get sued artwork that that appeared on the Szechuan sauce packets. That is mm-hmm. Rick and Morty esque. Uh, Wait, so it wasn't even sponsored by the show? No, no, no. Had, no. no they they. 
They saw a marketing opportunity. They jumped on it. Wow. And uh, Roiland and Harmon are like, yeah, we have nothing to do this. This adult swim's like, nope, forget it, guys. We we are <laughs> not sponsoring this in any way, shape, or form. We think this is ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Oh, they, they thought it was ridiculous at first. And then they got two big, like, three-gallon jugs of the stuff delivered to Adult Swim with their Nate, with, like, Rick and Morty branded on the side of the bottles. And it came in, like, a time capsule case thing. Like, McDonald's went all out. And suddenly it was, like, cool again. Justin Rowland put a big tweet up about, like, how cool it was that they got this time capsule with Szechuan sauce in it. But that came out before the packets were announced. They, yeah. they's like, we yeah. saved a couple. And they're like, hey, this is really cool. And McDonald's like, oh, well, if you think it's cool and the kids think you're cool, then the kids will think we're cool, right? Right? And like any adult attempting to become, you know, make it cool with the cool kids, uh, they failed miserably. Well, they thought it was actually kids. I don't think at any point McDonald's realized that this is an adult animated show. Like, this isn't something that that young it's not geared towards young children and i think when they put the the dips back out they thought that they were appealing to kids with their parents who would come in and politely buy one or two with their food not you know 30 40 50 year old men coming in and saying that they want an entire case i fear for the future of this planet (laughs) (laughs) like we were saying earlier rick and morty's got the worst fans out there there's um uh also it was about a, m- a month and a half or so ago as we record this i think it was september there was uh all the uproar over uh, the announcement of female writers for the show and male fans of rick and morty were uh, less than receptive somehow to the presence of a female writer um I don't think I don't know if they went quite so far as like to gaslight her or anything like that, but they were just threats and yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, like the worst, the worst elements of like rape culture and things like that just express themselves. And not to mention the fact that this isn't a single writer show. Like this is a writers' room type show. So I mean, it's it's no excuse. But even if they were worried that this woman would come along and change everything, it's a writers' room. She, it's not just her voice. You know, but given the show, how often kind of stands up for the little guy and they're so anti-fascist and anti, like, anti-Nazi. Like, there's a whole scene with them kicking the crap out of Nazis. To have their fans not kind of pick up on that and pick up on the fact of, hey, that's not cool, it kind of boggles my brain. Like, that's not, you don't get Doctor Who fans like that. Like, Doctor Who fans are like, oh, the doctor wouldn't do that. Maybe I shouldn't do that. <laughs> oh my god! Hey, been over! Yeah! Raised up posterior! Every month, we ask our guests to uh, select two episodes specifically for us to look at. Tell us which two you picked and, and why. <laughs> um, the the two most obvious ones, to my opinion, uh, from season one and season two, episodes eight in each season, respectively, uh, Rick's D Minutes and uh, um, Interdimensional Cable 2. Um, the... 
the each of the episodes are the the premise on the whole is um, upgraded cable box. You can see anything from anywhere, and the both both episodes are full of. Uh, I don't even know what the best descriptor is. Uh, crazy uh, things that people watch, um, and uh, it's just it's it's all done in a it's it's all done improv. Uh, I don't know that outside of the outside of the frameworks. I don't know that anything was actually scripted for for these segments, but it's just just off the wall crazy, just amazing nonsense. I had. I had a feeling that it was animated first and then improv upon. Uh, I don't know. Usually the recordings are done and then the animation is done around those. Usually. I know, but if it's improv, then. Anyway. Anyway. Don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can tell you there's a rumor. Uh, My son is into this and he just graduated college. And this is like, this show is big time with college kids. In fact, to the point where he called me, I think it was like a month or two ago, whenever season three started, maybe the end of the summer, and he was scrambling to find where he could watch it. Is it online? Is it here? Is it there? Because they just moved into a house and he doesn't have any cable and the entire group of kids were like all trying to watch the show. But uh, he was uh, he was saying that he had heard because I asked him, I said, after I watched these two, I called him. I said, yeah, so I watched this uh, Rick and Morty <laughs> that you've been <laughs> watching. And, uh, you know, I like it because he didn't think I would like it, but I did. I said, so where do they come up with this stuff? And he said, well, I've heard that uh, that sometimes they animate it and they get drunk. And then they get on there and just say whatever they want to say and sort of make it up as they go along. Like improv as they're drunk. So that's a rumor. There's a there's a lovely clip of Justin Roiland in a recording session doing shots of tequila, uh, getting getting visibly more and more drunk as he goes on doing the voice work for I'm not sure what episode it was, but uh, um well I don't I don't know either, but it was for Rick being very very drunk, like drunker than you've ever seen Rick. So he thought in his infinite wisdom that he needed to like method it and be extremely drunk. Um, and the entire clip, you have everyone else in the recording studio going, maybe you should stop. Don't have any more. Or how about no more, te- like, no more tequila. Let's switch you to something else. And he's like, no, it's got to be tequila. I have to keep drinking. I have to keep drinking. I'm not there yet. So they, they say it's the least productive studio session <laughs> they have ever had. <laughs> but I guarantee you there's a one or two gems that came out of that one. And those are probably the lines that we quote the most. Or um, not. Maybe. <laughs> I, I mean, the, 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 thing, the thing that I've seen out there is a, it's a, actually a little promotional thing put out by Adult Swim. Uh, I don't know that... I, I don't know how much the footage was actually usable when they came to production. I wouldn't be surprised if it's some of these skits that are in these two episodes. Could be. Could be. I mean, there was some, there was some really funny stuff. Ants in my eyes, Johnson, and Sneezy Horn, and Baby Legs <laughs> Detective, <laughs> the slow OJ chase that killed me. That was yeah. awesome. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. And all the Jan Michael Vincents. Yeah. My oh. Pers- so my my, per- my personal favorite hamster in butt world. <laughs> <laughs> and the butthole ice cream, yeah. 
It has a butthole ice cream, too. Yeah. Come on, man versus car. It's, the best <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a man way. versus a regular car. <laughs> Who's going to win? Why? Oh, it's the car. Why did you think he would win? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm watching Jan Michael Vincent, and I'm, I'm cracking up because it's ridiculous, but I'm trying to figure out who Jan Michael Vincent is. Oh, he was an airwolf. Airwolf. And exactly. And suddenly, I, 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 I remembered, and I went back. God, I miss Airwolf. I miss <laughs> Airwolf so much. That theme song was so important to my childhood. I still think I have a Matchbox Airwolf somewhere. Anyway, there's my rant about Airwolf. Go watch Airwolf. Anyway, yeah. How many Jan Michael Vincents can you have? You could have no more than... No eight, more than eight. No more than eight per More district. than eight <laughs> Jan yeah, Michael eight, Vincents. Yeah, eight per precinct. Eight per precinct. That's it, yeah. Yeah, because the judge wouldn't allow it. Yeah, I want to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> as, as somebody who comes from it with... Because I've done improv, and hopefully I'll be going back to doing improv soon, um, is they do, like, the classic improv setup. Like, every single skit is... One of them starts as a character, one of them figures out something crazy about the character, and then they set up some sort of action, whether that's, you know, an alien invasion or a comet hitting the Earth or, or you know, both. two brothers or both. Um, two brothers is like the perfect beginner improv sketch. It's like, here's the basics of improv. You can't say no. Okay, here's 60 things that are all going to happen. <laughs> okay, now you have to wrap it up. Uh... <laughs> It's two brothers. It's, it's it's just it's just called it's just called two brothers. It's just two brothers. <laughs> so it's it's interesting. I've had I saw at least one, if not two, articles about how that was such a inter- good introduction to improv because of how it's so clear cut setup of how improv works. Yeah, because not only you are you yes anding every situation, but you are also building it, and you you have to one up it. And so it's like, yeah, sure, we got two brothers, and they're fighting, they're fighting bad guys. Oh, but the bad guys are aliens. Okay, now what? Oh, yeah, but there's also a comet coming to, to and and the, the city's on fire, and uh, there are <laughs> trucks exploding, and uh, and the moon's crashing into the earth, and the, moon... and the old and, and the old women are coming. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, these guys are good. Uh, so these are super fun episodes. Are, do they are they also some of your favorites? Are like your favorites? Is this? What do you feel kind of like, is this Rick and Morty for you? Um, they rank among, like, how where do they rank sort of in your, your Rick and Morty enjoyment factor? I think these are, these are probably the ones we've each watched the most. Yeah. Um, I, I, I find myself going back to the first one more than the second altogether, but I've definitely watched them both more than anything else from the show. I'm not as much of a fan of the Jerry plot in the second so I go, this is the one that I always show people if they want to know what Rick and Morty's about because it's yeah. got no real outside plot. Um, I made the mistake of introducing someone to Rick and Morty by introducing them to season three, episode two or one. And she appreciated it, but she had no sweet clue idea like what was going on or any of the background or the Citadel of Ricks or all that good stuff so it's a really good episode to to introduce people to i found that um so i i i work in technology there's i i work with a lot of nerds as, as one can imagine uh there, i also work with a lot of people who 
somehow aren't nerds yet working in technology. And um, there, there's been a couple or three times where I'll just like sit around watching, you know, just looking at YouTube if there's a bit of downtime or something like that, or, or maybe afterward, after work or something. But um, I've put on just like a series of, of clips from interdimensional cable. Like, so whether it's Sansomias Johnson or, or whatever, and people who aren't familiar with the show, they'll kind of like, you know, look, watch the screen and they're like, what are you watching? <laughs> I find it's, I don't know if it's something, I don't know if these are the things that are necessarily going to get people to watch the show. Cause obviously it's very different from the show itself proper, but it gets their attention at the very least. Yeah, I mean, they're selling fake doors. <laughs> the, fake, the fake doors commercial. <laughs> that just keeps on going. <laughs> just keeps on. Just, he's driving off in his car. Where's this going? Uh, well, you said that you weren't a big fan of the, the Jerry plot for Interdimensional Cable 2. Do you like the um, sort of the B plot for the first one? The uh, Jerry and Beth are meant for each other. Summer uh, was a mistake and <clears throat> stop them from achieving their goals. Does that resonate with you at all? Or is it sort of like, well, I want to, I want to skip this, the emotional beats and go back to ants in his eyes. <laughs> Personally, I like <laughs> when the parents aren't there. Um, I like, I actually, I'm not, I'm enjoying with them, like the episodes of them separated, because I think that kind of puts Jerry in a position where he's actually his own character. He's not just, um, Beth's shadow. Yeah. But I still, they're not, like, if I have to hear the words horse surgeon one more time, like, <laughs> she's a vet. She's not a horse surgeon. She's a vet. Period. But no, I don't think the characters are, have enough gravitas or enough behind them to merit their own plots. So I would, I would disagree with that. I, I, I like the Jerry and Beth stuff. Um, it's from a conceptual standpoint, I like the idea of exploring the, you know, the, the multiverse and where summer doesn't exist and why. And it's also interesting to, to <laughs> just to watch Jerry and Beth as a couple. And I forget what episode it is off the top of my head, but there's the one where there's basically the, uh, like, like alien avatar of, of the spouse <laughs> that each one comes up with. And Jerry, Jerry is this, was he a worm? Yeah, he was yeah, like yeah. a slug. He's this like slug or a worm slug or something. Thing. And, and, and Jerry envisions Beth as this giant spider queen, monstrous like destroyer predator, predator character. And well, she's the, she's the Rachnos, right? Like she's basically, basically yeah. the Rachnos. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting to see where they take this relationship as a result of those kinds of feelings toward each other. One of the things that I found fascinating about Rick's Minutes is it's sort of the first episode in season one where we, we get an idea that there's going to be some continuity. It seems like when you're dealing with multiverses, any of those Rick and Morty stories could have taken place in the sort of the Rick and Morty prime verse, uh, yeah. or it could be taking off in a multiverse. But at the end of this, after you have all of this chaos of international uh, interdimensional cable, we have this really coolest terrifying heartfelt moment where Morty points out that 
his dead body and Rick's dead body are buried in their backyard. And he lets Summer yeah. in on the fact that he is not her brother from this dimension. And that life is essentially meaningless. And because of the multiverse, they're all interchangeable. And you know what? Let's just go watch some television. And that's a point that has come back. I mean, that that's sort of the moment where Rick and Morty stops being something like, say, Family Guy, which is just a, a, a series of weird jokes and has shown that it can be sort of uh, an overarching theme. Like there's actually can be a narrative running through it. Well, there's the continuity comes out of that uh, with the later on when they exhume Rick's body in season three. Yes. Uh, and, and take his, take the, the portal gun that was buried with him in the backyard. Mm-hmm. But even beyond that, the, um, Beth and Jerry thing, they, they more or less essentially, or at least practically decide to get a divorce. And that's, right. that's one of the major through lines of season three. So yeah, there's, there's, there's a, for something that, that should be, uh, or, or if you remember it incorrectly, um, seems to be such a throwaway kind of fluff piece with Ansem Eyes, Johnson, etc. There's there you're right, there's there's a lot of stuff that, that really comes back to resonate later in time. It's a it, it feels like, you know, we make fun of these programs uh where if they're gonna do twenty two episodes, twenty four episodes in a season and they can't pull one out in time, they'll go to that the trope of the clip show. And essentially I was surprised to see a clip show in episode eight, or even a clip show in an animated show. I mean, the Simpsons have done it, but that yeah. was a joke. And well, so I, when, Kevin <laughs> Kevin Smith did it with with Clerks in episode two, three, whatever it was <laughs> yeah. for the animated series. So, yeah. yep, that's absolutely right. Uh, with sharks constantly eating people, <laughs> and jumping out. An underrated program that Clerks animated series. Um, <clears throat> so, where do you see Rick and Morty going with the, in, in the future? They've got, they just finished series three. It's probably, it's got amazing ratings. There's no way they're going to cancel this unless Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland completely self-destruct, which is a possibility. Uh, (laughs) Just going by their personal habits. Where do you think this show is going to move towards? Or if you're not willing to make those kind of guesses, where would you like to see it move towards? I can see it going towards, um, how many seasons is it? How many seasons in a movie? Seven seasons in a movie. Six seasons in a movie. Six seasons in a movie, yeah. I can see it getting another season or two and then getting a movie. And I think it would lend itself really well to a movie. A nice, like, hour and a half animated movie. That's kind of a full, a full plot just in and of itself. Um, kind of contained within an animated movie. But other than that, I think you, I think it comes down to to Justin Rowland. I mean, he does the two main characters, and from other from my experience with other shows that have that kind of voice acting, it's not. I, I want to be wrong, but it's not sustainable. Either you have somebody, you have that person wanting to take more control of their characters, or you have them wanting to do something else or I mean I'm thinking like Ren and Stimpy because at one point one person was doing both both voices for Ren and Stimpy Billy West yeah Billy West so I don't think it's sustainable for a long period of time and I don't want it to be for a long period of time I mean you have other animated shows that have been going on probably past their prime 
and nobody's willing to kind of make that call and to stop them and not necessarily cancel them, just, you know, end it and let people pick up and make their own little fan movies or, or write things or whatever and kind of to grow it that way. But I can see it easily being run into the ground, which I hope doesn't happen. I don't know where I want it to go. Uh, I think it's the kind of thing I'd want to see go out on a high, kind of like what Kat was saying. Don't don't let it stagnate and fester. I mean, as much as I love The Simpsons, you know, season twenty nine, eh, <laughs> whatever anymore. Um, Are you still actively I, watching The Simpsons? Yes. Yep. Every yeah, week. Yeah, me too. Wow. Um, yeah. I'm impressed. I am impressed. <laughs> There's a. Um, a Simpsons podcast I've been listening to for, well, uh, picked it up over the summer, really, but um, called Talking Simpsons, and the the people who are involved are very, very massive Simpsons fans, as one can imagine, but they're also very open about when they think, when they think the shark was jumped. So they're like, yeah, I won't watch past season nine, or I won't watch, won't watch past season ten, or this is the episode <laughs> that did it in for me, or whatever, and I'm like, well, I'm still stuck with it, and Maybe it's not as good as it once was, but there's still the odd gem. But I mean, South Park's getting up there. The South Park's at season 21, 22, yeah. something like that. And I still watch that every every Wednesday when it's on. And it's, yeah. Um, it's not that something like Rick and Morty, Morty couldn't go on for a long time. I just think they'd, they'd run out of fuel long before even The Simpsons got to the point where they were deemed to be worn out. Yeah. It's a very... It's a very heavy show in a lot of ways, whether it's the, the philosophical elements or, or the, the blood and gore or the, the you know, just selfish nature. of There's a lot of stuff that, that doesn't have a lot of fuel. It's a visceral show, both in the actual mm. literally like, visceral, but also yeah. emotionally and philosophically and even politically. Uh, it's heavy. It's a heavy program. And yeah. I find myself laughing, but also kind of hurting a little, um, usually by the end of it. And it's impressive that they can do so much. It fluctuates emotionally so much in a, in a 25 minute program. Not a lot of shows can, can pull that off. Yeah, it's... It's it's a show that you could easily just watch part of it and think, oh, that's, you know, that's foolish. That's ridiculous. And it can be the same episode where, um, well, the, the episode where Rick, it looks like Rick's going to kill himself at the very. That's, uh, yeah, at the um, end of uh, season two. Yeah, at the end of season two. And that that will forever stick in my head. For, like, of any animated show I've watched, that will stick in my head. Because you do not see it coming. He seems perfectly fine. And then when everybody leaves, he sits down and he's horribly drunk. And the only reason he doesn't kill himself is because he passes out. Not because he doesn't want to, like, he ducks out at the last minute or he should have died then, but he passed out. And that's just so, like, what animated show does that? (laughs) Like, how dare you, Dan Harmon and Justin (laughs) Rowland? How dare you? But it will, it'll stick in my head. And it's so indicative of life that, again, how dare an animated show be so, you know, truthful about people that have have depression or that are going through addictions and things like that, that they don't pull any punches. Well, and it's also coupled with Nine Inch Nails' hurt 
<laughs> which is itself a reasonably profound song too. So mm-hmm. it, just, it just amps it up. Yeah. One of the things I appreciate about the program is I've watched a lot of TV. I usually can guess what's going to happen next. And to have a program be able to take those left and right turns, you know, I mean, it zags on me frequently. And uh, even it those <clears throat> those moments are not necessarily positive. You know, to have something like that and to suddenly have Rick contemplate or even attempt to kill himself. Didn't see it coming. Yeah. And it seems apropos for something the character would do. Yeah, you you believe that he's been this isn't just a sudden choice. This is something that he's been living with for a long long time and there's a reason that he drinks. It's not a good reason, but he doesn't just drink because the character thinks drinking is cool. He honestly drinks to hide his pain and to to shove his pain down. And again, this is an animated show. And how dare you, Dan Herman, because it's an animated show. And this isn't supposed to happen. My cartoons are supposed to be happy. Where's the musical episode? Why isn't there more singing? (laughs) I was about to say, why isn't there a sun? You know, the sun has a smiley face. But uh, we do, in fact, have that moment. But the sun is just screaming constantly, (laughs) constantly screaming all the time. And that's Justin Rowland, and that's his stupid lemon grab voice that I hate so much. <laughs> I have not explored Adventure Time enough to appreciate that. And I was in a conversation with a friend of mine the other day, and he was like, oh, well, you know, it's lemon grab. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. He goes, oh, yeah? And I think he typed in on YouTube, lemon grab, most annoying moments. And it's just Lemon Grab screaming about stuff. And then it's Lemon Grab's most serious moments. And it's the exact same moments. But they include, like, but there's a backstory as to why he's he is that way. And I'm like, this is a profoundly troubled character. And they're like, who is he? And I'm like, oh, is he the Rick of this dimension? And he's like, yep. Yeah. Yeah, when you hear when you hear Morty um, rapping in the, uh, the, the heads, the heads music episode oh yeah yeah um when you hear morty like singing and stuff like that that's his lemon grab voice when he first starts singing and i wish i didn't know that but every single time he just slips into it i just want to walk over and just shove justin rolling as hard as i possibly can and say you can do better you can do other voices stop it (laughs) season two episode five get swifty get swifty which I played on my podcast <laughs> as a random opening, just to confuse people. Head bent over, raise the posterior. <laughs> <laughs> well, how can folks reach the two of you if they want to and you want them to? Uh, com. Uh, probably it's the most easy generic way and uh yeah that's me uh if you like doctor who then veritypodcast.com um otherwise stmpodcast.com which that podcast is my baby i'm the only one that does anything with it other than the guests that i have on um so whereas the other one is there's six of us so if they want to talk to me in particular then stmpodcast.com. Well, thank you both for coming onto our program and talking Rick and Morty with us. Yeah, thanks for coming on. 
it was fun. Thanks for being adventurous and watching the show, Brent. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go back and watch all of them now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I heartily recommend that. Yeah. I'm so so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> And thank you for tuning in to Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixel who. Who and Company can now be found on iheartradio.com or you can download the podcast directly from whoandcompany.libson.com. You can also contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany or email us at whoandcompany.com at yahoo.com. See you next month. Hey, Tiny Rick's playing guitar. All right, everybody. This next one's coming straight from the heart, making the lyrics up right off the top of my head. Let me out. What you see is not the same person as me. My life's a lie. I'm not who you're looking at. Let me out. Set me free. I'm really old. This isn't me. My real body's slowly dying in a vat. Is anybody listening? Can anyone understand? Stop looking at me like that and actually help me. Help me. Help me. I'm gonna die. Tiny Rick.